mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello, and welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. It is mid-September. If you have children, they're back in school. And I've seen many a parent toasting at the school gates because it was a long summer with the hottest weekend in the UK right at the end, just as everyone went back to be like, you think I can't have a season like this? Here I go. And I didn't move here for that. I did not come here for that kind of weather. We were visited by two very good friends from Sarnia. I have to establish that they are very, very good friends because I let, well, I asked to have one of their breast milk. Listen, I know that people are going to judge me based on this, but think about your own life first. You eat meat, presumably, if you're not a vegan, and you drink milk from cows that you don't know. You eat their cheese, you don't know their names, you've never met them. Well, these two very good friends of mine, one of them happens to be breastfeeding her third child, and I noticed her pumping in my kitchen, and then she asked to dump that milk down the sink. And I looked at those six ounces and I said, why would you do that? And she said, it's actually very complex to donate. And I do that where I live in America. And you have to jump through all these hoops and take tests and prove that you're not using any substances or you don't have any infectious diseases that could get in the milk. Fair enough. And she said, I would never pass those tests. No, she said, I don't have time while I'm here for a quick work trip to do that. So I I can't be running around with a freezer. I'm just dumping. I have an oversupply anyway. And then I heard the words oversupply and I thought, oh, I can't let you do that. I can't watch that milk go down my drain. So I said, please, can I have it? And I was really taking a a punt that she wasn't going to be grossed out. But uh, obviously as a donating breast milk mom. She wasn't. She was like, yeah, of course you can. And I stashed it away in the freezer because I'm a greedy milk whore. Like how greedy can you get? Like I'm breastfeeding. I've been breastfeeding for two and a half years. I have milk in the freezer though, you know, it is a finite supply. If I stop breastfeeding at some point, which I hope to before Fen is in college, then the milk will dwindle. And I just... I, I like I like breast milk. I just don't want to see it wasted. So Fanna drank it while I was away at work that night. I didn't label which one was mine and which one was hers. But when I got back, I looked in the freezer and I knew that hers had been drunk. And I was like, ooh. And I said to Bobby, you know you gave her someone else's breast milk. And Bobby was like, okay. I mean, I think Bobby just glazes over a lot of the time now when I have exciting things to say. He's like, all right, okay. Bobby and I got into what was almost... A row, like I would classify it as an argument. And it was all because, you know, Fred is a tricky customer. And the more I speak to parents of young men, I hate to apply gender stereotypes, but the boys seem 
crazy. And my friend Jeff Norcott has written a great book. It's out today, actually. This is not a, I mean, I suppose it is a plug, but it's not meaning to be like a direct ad or anything. It's Thursday, September 14th. It's not Jeff's first book. No, no. He is an established, very hilarious author, stand-up TV writer, sitcom writer. He does it all. Uh, you will know him from television, his little face. And now he's written The British Bl Bloke Decoded. The British bloke decoded. And it's all sorts of things like that will make you laugh, but also teach you about men. Like why do they need a fucking medal for everything? And ladies and gentlemen, I've yet to reach that chapter, but I am very intrigued. Uh, and should we, should we make them feel like they got a medal for everything? I mean, without harboring resentment, I don't know, but I'll see in the chapter. What I have read of it though is so funny. Why do they do this? Why do they do that? Jeff's the best. And um, I think that I'm going to read that because I have loads of books about raising boys and, you know, like how to parent your small toddler. But I just think all I need to do is cut to the chase, learn about men, because that's what Fred does. He just acts like a man. He's very, it's just testosterone. Like he has tantrums and I just never experienced that with Violet. His tantrums don't last that long. And I have been very clear in the house that if we all respond swiftly and in the same way, those tantrums won't persist. A just turned two-year-old having a tantrum is far different from a four and five-year-old having a tantrum. And I will be mortified if Fred is still acting like that in a couple of years. But I mean, hey, I don't know. He's my first boy. He's my first toxic male. And um, he's also very loving and very sweet and very emotional. But there's a sense of like immediacy and frustration with him that I'm not familiar with. So getting back to this row, Bobby feeds Fred what Fred wants to eat. And I understand, like I do a lot of that too, because Fred's very particular, but I'm always introducing new foods. And Bobby's like, well, he doesn't want that. And I go, yeah, okay. But at least if I just offer it a hundred times, maybe like 101 time is going to be the magic occasion that he decides to take a bite. And I always say, it's all right, Fred, no pressure. Like, remember what we said, you try something and everyone's going to go, well done, Fred. And then if you don't like, you spit it out, like just try. And if he does, then I'm like, whoa, you're so brave. And that's so cool. You tried something new. I think I'm approaching it correctly, but I mean, it's not working. So I made him a peanut butter sandwich. I made this kid a peanut butter sandwich. And I had a little scraping of Nutella as well, because I thought that'll sweeten the deal, get him excited about the idea of peanut butter. And when he was a baby, he's had it before. I did the whole allergy introduction of peanuts, hazelnuts, pistachios, almonds, like I did all that. So I know he's not allergic and he's had bread before too. So I cut it up into tiny squares for the sultan in my home, that is my two-year-old son. And I presented this in front of the television and normally he eats in the kitchen, but I thought, hey Fred, you know, we're walking around, we're waiting for daddy to make your usual omelet and banana, uh, also cut into small squares. And I said, why don't you try this peanut butter sandwich? And he was like, oh, now. And I said, oh, you know, you could try it. It's really yummy. If you don't like it, spit it out. And Bobby's like, he's not going to eat that. And I was like, please don't be negative within earshot. But whatever, Bobby is usually right. Fred had a bite, though, and he liked it. He knew somewhere in that sandwich was a whisper of chocolate, hazelnut. And he was excited about that. And he was like, yeah, okay. And then I thought, I'm gonna make this a great experience. So Fenna on my hip, I go to the kitchen and I get an ice cold glass of milk, cow's milk even. And I brought it to him and I said, have a little drink, Fred. Peanut butter sandwich tastes really good with the cold glass of milk. He has a little sip, he's like, yeah, all right, it's nice. And I thought, great. 
And then I sort of got out of his face. I was like, I'm just going to leave this here. You know, it's a win. I'll step back. So we had the little plate and he kept eating the peanut butter sandwich squares. And I felt very smug about that. And I got about my business in the kitchen. I had Fenna with me. I was chatting to Bobby about something. Looking over at Fred, I'm seeing he's still eating these sandwiches, always keeping an eye on him. And then he starts gagging. He's like, now. But he wasn't choking because he was making noise. I know enough first aid to know when a child's in distress. But equally, I think learning first aid is important because you'll know when they are not in medical distress. He was breathing normally. He wasn't swelling up. His face wasn't turning red. He was just like, and so he was kind of coughing and spitting out this piece of peanut butter. So I go and catch it in my hand. I've caught like so much food and actual puke in my hands before. And uh, I said, oh, what happened, Fred? You didn't like it? He's like, well, well, get it out, get it off, get it out. And I was like, what the, what's he talking about? So I try to look in his mouth. He's kicking off. He doesn't want me to look in his mouth. And I give him another sip. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want that drink. And But I could see from the way he's acting that he's certainly not choking. Like, what is stuck? What are you talking about? Something stuck kind of halfway down. I finally changed the milk to water in a baby bottle and he'll drink that a bit. And that went down and I'm like, what? what's going on? He's still flipping out. So now Bobby's like, I told you not to give him peanut butter sandwich. What's gone on here? Da, da, da. And I was like, oh my God. Well, I don't know. He's just being dramatic, I think, because he's clearly not in medical distress. I'm going to put Fena down for her nap because Fena's up at fucking five. So she has her first nap around 8 a.m., like before Fred has even had his breakfast. And I was like, I'll come back and address this. Bobby's like, come on, Fred, mommy's gone. Like the dragon who gave you this peanut butter. Let's sit at the table and have eggs and banana. So I come back after putting Fena down, which doesn't take long because she respects me. She's a child who is lovely, smiling all the time, never like hurling a peanut butter sandwich back in my face. Fena, by the way, will eat anything. She was eating an apple today, like a whole apple that I peeled and cut the ends off of. It's like one circle apple. Fena was just like holding it in one hand, taking a bite out of it and another bite just like chilling, like Bugs Bunny waiting for a nemesis, you know? She's just like, da-da-da, She'll eat pasta, she'll eat anything, anything. And Fred is like having this tantrum still when I get down from putting her to sleep. And Bobby's like, well, I'm taking him to the hospital. And this is when I got mad because Bobby knows my mistrust of organized medicine. And and they're fine for some things, but like not for this. I said, if you, I hate the idea that parents, and you know, you can, you know, better safe than sorry with your kids. But I am also Fred's parent. And I was like, we are not going to wake Fanna up from her nap and sit in the A&E at our local hospital for the next eight hours for them to tell you that Fred is just being a dick. Bobby's like, I'll take him. I think I should take him. He's not settled. He won't eat his bananas. Like something's wrong. So I look at Fred on the couch and Bobby had a right to be worried. I mean, he was drooling and he was like, like talking strange, but still all his vitals were normal. Like he was breathing normally. He wasn't swollen. He was just talking funny. And I looked in his mouth, his tongue wasn't swollen. I was like, what the, f- what is wrong with you, Fred? What's going on? He's like, and he's just so sad. And then Bobby, of course, is worried because he's like, what did you do to my son? So I went over and I was like, right, Fred. And this is what mom has the balls to do. And only I have the balls to do this. I will pin Fred down and I will do what needs to be done. Whether that be administer eye drops, ear drops, get him a haircut, 
give him cowpool, like whatever I need to do, I'm sorry, like I don't have a problem doing it if it is for the greater good. It doesn't hurt him. Yes, it pisses us off, but it needs to get done. So of course I have to then like pin Fred to the couch gently and I flash my phone in his mouth and go, Fred, I don't know what's happened, but we gotta sort it and mommy's gonna fix it now. He's fighting me, no, he's like as big and as strong as I am. I look in his mouth and what do I see? But on the roof of Fred's mouth, he has a tiny bit of peanut butter and bread. So I take my index finger and I roll it around the roof of his mouth and scrape off the peanut butter. I remove my finger from Fred's mouth. I show Fred on the end of my finger, look, Fred, you had peanut butter stuck in the roof of your mouth. And he goes, oh, okay. He gets up, happy as Larry, runs into the kitchen, back with his dad, reunited, BFFs, has his egg, has his banana. I just want to say, like, Bobby, listen, in this family, both of you guys need to chill the fuck out. You need to chill out. Because I can't be... Like the one who, and this is the thing, like Bobby's so wonderful and he does a lot and it is very stressful to have two small kids and it's also very stressful to have Violet and me on the other side who are like, you know, two spoiled teenagers sometimes who wanna like buy this and spend that and go here and eat that and Bobby's like humble and trying to keep it all together. But like, He's always nice to everybody as well. He's outwardly very accommodating. He's like, of course you can do that. Of course you can do this. That's fine. That's fine. And so I have to be the one who faces the world as an asshole. And I think a lot of moms feel like this, you know, it's good cop, bad cop. And dad is usually the good guy, the fun guy. And I just was like, that's not fair because we were filming in the house as we have been for a while. And there are certain like boundaries with the kids that we need when filming in the house. We just need a little bit of separation. We need them to quietly have their lunch sometimes. We need everyone to take their shoes off, like stupid stuff like that. But I'm the one who always has to make sure that's happening because Bobby's like too nice. He's like, would anyone like a coffee? Oh yeah, sorry, my wife asked you to take your shoes off. You know, she's a real prick. He doesn't say that, but like, I feel that's the vibe. And it's just crazy because like, I know that my image, a lot on television and from panel shows, certainly where you have to make jokes quickly and be quite strong, I seem like a bitch. Like a lot of people think that I'm a bitch. Whereas in the house, I feel that I put up with everyone else's mood, teenage moods, Bobby and Fred being men, not Fenna Grace. Fenna Grace and I are just like two like tolerant angels. That's how I feel. And I know that that is just my perception and I'm probably a little bit harder work than that. But I have to be a dick to everyone else on their behalf. And then Bobby and Fred are just like handsome and smiling. And I'm like, you fucking. Anyway, my name is on the family grocery order. So the food that we get to the house, I'm not going to say which brand we ordered from. But usually what they do when you book a delivery slot. And we always book 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Because that's the window that I'm awake with Fenna Grace. I can put all the groceries away. And without being told, like, you don't need this. So, um, and I just get things that the kids need for breakfast. It's just a good time because I got not a lot else on the go around that time. And you get an email before and it goes, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'll be driving the cherries van or the apples van. And here are the things that are missing from your order. Here are the substitutions or like, here's your invoice for the order. We have everything. Great. They never come before or after the scheduled delivery time. If they do, they always call to see if it's okay. This guy had a different name 
And I sort of know all the local drivers. I suppose they're unionized. They don't switch a lot. We've had the same delivery drivers for a long time. And this was a new name, one I'd never seen before. And I thought, oh, I just had a sneaking suspicion. I just knew somewhere, oh, this is going to fuck up. And then the doorbell went at 5.45 a.m. Before the 6 to 7 slot, I was already in the kitchen. It was not a problem for the early risers in the Ryan Kutzer household. But I did think, oh, yeah, something's a bit off. Off. This is this guy's first day. But whatever. He came to the door. He could not have been friendlier. He was really wonderful with Fena, calling her a cute baby, petting the dogs, not afraid of the dogs. Like my dogs are scary. Some people, you wouldn't believe, are afraid of little innocent Meg Ryan, Manny and Cardi. He dropped the bags at the door and there were six bags. I didn't look in them or check. He just went, no substitution, see you later. And he left. And then it takes me a little while to get Fena and her little walker, grab the bags. And eventually I got them into the kitchen and I started to unpack them. It was only then, sort of 10 minutes after he had left, that I noticed half the bags were ours and half the bags were not. These bags contained very posh steaks weird posh pears that I hadn't heard of, a new type of apple that I didn't know about, some probiotic yogurt, and these little cathedral, uh, like individual bags in a multi-pack of cheese cubes, like teeny tiny cubes, which I thought, okay, you can learn the demographics of a household by their grocery order. And I figured buy these groceries. I was like, okay, well, someone's having like just two individual really posh steaks. <laughs> and maybe it's like a retirement dinner or just a special date night. It kind of looked like date night stuff with a mix of toddler food. These little cheese cubes, I thought, oh, I'm gonna buy those next time for Fred. Uh, what else was in there? Like not loads of stuff, but nice stuff, you know? And so I took those three bags and I put them back outside because it was a cold morning. And I said to myself, that driver's gonna be back. Fena had been up so long that she needed to go for a nap before seven and you can't ring a, the grocery place before seven. <laughs> And I was going to call them and be like, oh, I have the wrong groceries. Do you want them back? But instead of doing that, I just took Fenna to bed for her nap and I was knackered. So I lay down with her and I sent Bobby a text. Bobby called them and he like follows the rules. He's such a stickler for like what is right and what is wrong. The lady on the phone said, okay, well, you have to keep those groceries or donate them to charity because once they've been in your house, we can't you know, health and safety, take them from your house and deliver them to someone else. That makes sense. Like what if we were nefarious killers and we put poison in the groceries and then they came and collected them and gave them away. And the lady said, your missing groceries will be delivered tomorrow. I'm really sorry for the inconvenience. You'll get a full refund and the other family's missing groceries will be delivered to them tomorrow. But like under no circumstances, give those groceries back to the driver. We can't organize that for you. It's against our rules. And Bobby was like, okay. And so we took all the groceries and put them in the fridge, like put them away. He goes, well, we'll find some use for this. Oh, well, hopefully that family finds a use for Fena's like breakfast raspberries or whatever I had ordered. And so then after Bobby made this call and was instructed by the Ocado lady not to give away the groceries, the driver comes back. He rings the bell and he says, oh, there's been a mistake. The house down the road. I don't know. I think they might've yelled at him because they were missing some pretty nice stuff. He didn't say they gave him a hard time, but I imagine they gave him a hard time. And they said, these are not our groceries. They checked them at the door. Like I didn't stupidly. They said, turn right around, go get our steaks. Cause we're having like some celebratory meal tonight. And the guy came back and Bobby was like, no, I'm sorry. Like the lady from the grocery store told me I can't give you the groceries back. And now it just feels like 
we stole steaks from our neighbors. What's worse is that the driver brought back our original groceries and Bobby accepted them and put them away in the fridge. So I don't know any of this is going on. I am blissfully having my little nap with Fena. I wake up from the nap and I'm told the whole story about how Bobby basically stole the neighbor's steaks even though we got our whole grocery order. So now the fridge truly is packed, which is one of his pet peeves about me. And I'm like, well, we should have just given them back. And Bobby's like, Catherine, rules are rules. We can't be giving them back. And then the next day, our groceries came again. Again, because Bobby had organized with the woman for the groceries to be re-delivered the next day. So, I mean, it's a great problem to have a fridge full of food. But I mean, I'm not complaining on that front. It was just too much. So Bobby gathered everything afterwards and he took it down to a food bank because he's like, look, our fridge is busting. I said, whose fault is that? So what's the point? What is the point? You could give them to a food charity, but you can't give them back to the driver who's basically just doing charity by giving them to the intended recipients. It was a wild day. It was a wild day in the Kustra, the Ryan Kustra household. And whose name is on that order? Mine. So I am sure that if the house down the road knows what house they were, it's because they probably would have looked at the receipt and been like, huh, Catherine Ryan. And it wasn't even my fault. I wanted you to have your steaks. I know what you're waiting for this week. Those of you who listen to the podcast and who follow me on social media will know that I had the privilege, the dream come true moment, the wonderful, unique life experience of meeting the Duke of Sussex, Prince Harry in the astounding flesh. Prince Harry was in the UK, not only for the first anniversary of the passing of his wonderful grandmother, the queen, but also to pay his honor to the wonderful children at Wellchild. So Wellchild is a beautiful charity. Prince Harry is the patron of Wellchild and they support young people navigating complex medical issues. Also, they honor their carers and their parents and the young people themselves, as well as their nurses and doctors for a job well done. And I met some incredible kids. I met great families. I learned a lot while I was there and it was a meaningful event. And that is why when I did some press later this week, earlier than now, but later that week, the newspapers were asking me about Gusto, which is a recipe box company that I love. And when you do press for a company, they want to ask you about that. And then they also want to ask you about stuff in your life. So of course they were like, how about Violet getting harassed on public transport? And what's going on with this? And tell me about your marriage and tell me about the kids and tell me about meeting Prince Harry. What did he say? What was it like? And I knew I'm on to you now, tabloids, and I know you'll get it from this podcast, but I didn't want to give you the satisfaction at the time. I wanted to keep it focused on Wellchild. I didn't want to say everything. So they said, did you talk about anything? And I said, no, no. I said, Prince Harry kept the conversation focused on Wellchild and the importance of the charity and the children navigating complex medical issues. And that is 99% true. He was there to take time and sit and chat to all those young people and shake hands with their families and really was very generous with his time. And that was 99% of the whole thing. But yeah, I did have a separate little chat and I'm about to tell you what it was now. <sighs> Bobby wasn't allowed in the room. That was my first real clear sign from Prince Harry that he wanted to get me alone. Uh, no, we didn't even know the Duke of Sussex was gonna be there. We really didn't. I knew he was a patron of this wonderful charity. My good friends, Zafar and Natalie Rushdie are involved in the charity as well. Natalie was singing on the night. She's a beautiful opera singer, though she was singing 
at last or something wonderful that was not opera. But anyway, I was there to support the charity and to see my friend Natalie. And then we got an email that was like, oh, you have to bring your passports to the event. And I was like, passports, where are we going? And then I thought about it a little bit more and I went, I think we're gonna meet Prince Harry. I think Prince Harry's gonna be there actually. I didn't think he was gonna speak to us, but I thought, oh, he's in attendance. So they're cracking down on the guest list. When we arrived, they were like, oh, Bobby, wonderful. Come over here. We'll take some red carpet photos and you stay in the champagne reception. Spouses aren't allowed in the room to meet the Duke of Sussex. And that is kicking off any second. And I was like, what? And they said, Catherine, come with us. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh no. I was actually, I'm not often nervous, but I thought I have told jokes about Prince Harry, about the royal family in the past. Though, I've always been very positive about Harry and Meghan, about the royal family. Generally, I've always been really positive. Like, nothing I've said has been at anyone's expense. But surely they do your their homework. Like, they know everything you've ever done, every school you went to, everything that you ever said. Like, they're not just going to let anyone into that room. And I thought, oh, God. Like, either... Because he's special and maybe he doesn't watch. Like, Mock the Week or Live at the Apollo. I don't really know what Prince Harry gets up to in his private life, unfortunately. But I thought he either sort of knows who I am, like he's maybe caught a glimpse of something I've done, or maybe someone has said to him, because we sort of have some almost mutual friends, oh, Catherine has this joke about you. Catherine has that joke about you. What I definitely didn't want is for him to have been briefed by a handler, because this is what happens. When important people go into a room, be that like Obama or Prince Harry or anyone, they have someone over their shoulder being like, and -and so-and-so went to this college and they like skiing and da-da-da-da, like telling them so that the person that you want to meet is confidently shaking your hand going, so I hear you're into saving chimpanzees. You know, they're briefed on you, right? Sort of like, again, my friend Jeff Norcott who wrote decoding the British bloke. He has a joke about a wife having that role when you go to any family party being like, okay, so Annabelle is your cousin and Annabelle just learned how to play the piano and so and so's getting divorced. So don't mention that. And blah, 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 just had a baby. It's exactly that. So I knew that whatever briefing he'd had would probably include like, she's a comedian and she presents this character that is like obsessed with you. (laughs) But I'm not, you know, I love Prince Harry I love the joke that I super, super fancy Prince Harry, but the reality is I just speak for the British public. And even though I think he's amazing, I do. I love my husband and I'm not like a stalker. And every time someone asks me about it, I just double down and I answer like an obsessed teen mega fan would, I guess. Like that's the character. But one of my jokes was misquoted several times in the newspaper. Like they write it wrong once and then they do it again and again. So I used to say a long time ago, Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge, and I would call Prince Harry the Duke of I just came bridge, as in like, I had an orgasm bridge. Do you know what I mean? Even though I know he's the Duke of Sussex, but this was a long time ago. When they printed it, they wrote the Duke of I just came rich, which is not what I said. I just came bridge. I just came. And like, that's a really awkward thing for me to correct. So I just kind of let the joke be printed wrong and reprinted wrong again and again and again. And I just hope that he wasn't briefed that version of the joke. Like there are two scenarios. 
One scenario, he's been briefed the actual joke, which is very sexually explicit and I think would make him feel uncomfortable. (laughs) And the other version of the joke, that's just a really badly written joke that doesn't make any sense. So what does he think? He definitely thinks I'm either like obsessed with him or a terrible comedian or both. So I thought, oh, well, maybe he just doesn't know. Maybe they just didn't include that because it's a minefield. And they just said, here are some people that you're going to meet. It was at my table. It was Zafar and Natalie, Emma Willis, myself, and Tom Felton, I think is his last name. And I'm sorry, because I saw him on Instagram and he has like 22 million followers. He's in Harry Potter, but I've never seen Harry Potter. And I thought he was the owner of a club. It really seemed like it was the owner of this like posh venue where we were, which I think was a golf course and country club. It was, I was like, why don't I live in South London? Like I need to move to Kensington pronto because I'd have a much smaller, smaller house or flat, but I would live in paradise. Anyway, he comes in in this like Tom Felton, not Prince Harry yet, comes in in this cream suit and he just seemed posh and he seemed like the owner of the club. And I was like, hello, thank you for having us here. I'm sure I said many stupid things to him. And then over my left shoulder, Prince Harry enters and no one has phones out. There was a photographer, like an official photographer. You can see some of the photos on my Instagram. First thing out of his mouth. Oh, you're the one who tells the jokes about me. I panicked. I pointed to my friend, Natalie Rushdie. I said, no, that was Natalie. And she could not be like a more above the board, like prim and proper, actually talented, beautifully dressed person about to sing at the charity. And she was like, whoa, whoa, I, no, no. And I was like, nah, yeah, it was me. Sorry about that. And then he said, well, it's okay. I like jokes. And I said, okay, well, none of them were at your expense. And he said, no, they weren't. So keep telling the jokes. And I said, okay, none at your expense. He said, no, I know they weren't at my expense. And then I just sort of sank in a pool of like sweaty shame where I was like, what joke does he think I've told? I hope he knows the right joke. And then he went on to speak about the charity and meet with everyone else and talk to them personally. He was lovely. Like his presence was so striking. Seeing him up close, you know, we kind of get used to this Instagram version of people where they don't really look like themselves. You meet them in real life and it's like a Tinder date gone wrong where it's sort of a version of them, but it's not them. Prince Harry in the flesh looks exactly, but taller, like the image of Prince Harry that you have in your head. Like he just, he's in HD and the photos of him look like the real him. And he's got this lovely, peaceful presence And he's so dutiful, you know, beautiful and dutiful. He went all around the room very confidently. And, you know, I think I was friends with this, a bunch of girls in high school, but one in particular was so beautiful and really popular. And sometimes people called her a bitch. And she would say like, why am I a bitch? Because I didn't say hi to people. I didn't know they wanted me to say hi to them. Like I was shy. So I'd walk down the corridor and just look forward or look down. I wouldn't say hi to people. I wasn't trying to be better than them. I was just shy. And I think Prince Harry has been raised his entire life like, okay, guess what? Prepare yourself. Everyone wants you to say hi to them. And that's hard work to always be on and always be like, hello, yes, and okay, how's your daughter? And what do you think? And where did you go to school? And blah, blah, blah. Like he's just got this ease about doing that 
that isn't very simple when you think about it. And then as he came back near us to leave, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't leave it alone. I, I turned around and I said, oh, it's Cambridge, not Cambridge. And he looked back and went, okay. Okay. What? What? So I suppose the takeaway is Prince Harry knows me and the Spice Girls know me and I am married to Bobby Kutstra. And if you could turn the clock back and tell all of those things to my 16-year-old self, she would not believe you. And that is why I think I'm dead. I think I died four years ago and I just imagined the rest. Let's hear some words from our sponsors now. And when we return, I will see two weeks worth of your emails, which have been whittled down to the best by none other than my sister, Joanne. If you ever want to write me an email, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, leading with Joanne's summary. There were so many responses to the story about Violet and her older cousin being spoken to inappropriately, filmed, catcalled whilst out in London. Catherine, your rightful rage against men generated a lot of feedback. Many stories shared about being catcalled and approached by significantly older men. Many women recounted stories of being endlessly catcalled whilst wearing a school uniform, basically a sandwich board saying, I am underage. Lots of people wrote in with different views on safeguarding your own teenage daughter. I have left a variety for you to read here. And first of all, I received a message from the chief constable of the London Underground, Lucy D'Orsi. And this has been reported in the Metro who asked me about it. And I thought it was really important to share the message far and wide that there are routes you can take. You have to report this stuff. And there is a wonderful woman looking out for us. And she said, Catherine, I agree with you. It's completely unacceptable for men to behave in this way. Please do report this to British Transport Police if you haven't done so already. We have zero tolerance for unwanted sexual behavior. It's important that we have an accurate picture of offending to prevent future victims and ensure our officers and staff are in the right place at the right time across the rail network. So you can download the Railway Guardian app and I'm putting that on Violet's phone instantly as soon as she's back from school, and you can text 61016 if you ever have any trouble on the London Underground. And like I said in the original podcast, 
just find a woman like me. There are so many women. And like, I know that a mixed demographic listen to this podcast. If you're a man and you're like, not all men, it's like, you have no idea how many women wrote in about this. It has happened to so many people. And just you be on the lookout too, but don't speak to teenage girls on their own. Just don't. Teenage girls, teenage boys, teenage anybody, anyone who feels vulnerable, find a woman my age and be like, mom, that man's making me feel weird. And all of a sudden, kaboom, kabang, I'm your mom. I will look out for you. This is one about Violet's privacy. And I said that I want to get her a bodyguard when she starts to go out late at night. And I also said that I spot check her Snapchat because I don't think our 14-year-olds should even be on Snapchat. I don't have a problem with it for adults, though I think it's designed for lying and cheating. And I don't think that messages should necessarily disappear after they are viewed. But for a 14-year-old to have that, I think is so dangerous. There's no accountability there. I don't know why. I mean, I do know why you would want to have it, but I hate how popular it's become. And this is an interesting letter that I'm going to read to Violet as well. Catherine, I'm a now 21-year-old woman who wishes her mom spot-checked her Snapchat. I was the first generation of Snapchat, and as a teenager, I had it from a very young age. All was fine till I was 14. There had been an older man, 32 I think, I had rejected outside the school gate. Two weeks later, I get a friend request from what I thought was a guy in my maths class. Being someone who struggled so much with math, I added him, thinking, yay, a new friend, cool. However, it turned out the boy I knew was the younger cousin of the playground creep. I received numerous nudes, threats, and weird messages. I was too scared to tell my mom, and it went on for weeks until I made a new account. He kept making accounts under people's names. Point two, my first relationship started when I was almost 15. He was the same age, but was not a very nice guy. I was too young to know this and assumed his behavior was normal. Had my mom had access to my Snapchat and read the things he said to me, I would have maybe avoided a four-year relationship that almost ended my life. Please, please, please protect your daughter. Hopefully nothing ever happens to her, but if it does, she'll wish you had kept checking. Also, get the bodyguard. Men are creepy. My older freak, my older brother frequently waits in the parking lots nearby, and he's had to help me home on numerous occasions. Fuck's sake. Another... Catherine, the sexual, oh, this is about hebophilia. So that's the word I was looking for. These guys, I call them pedos, but I know there's a word for it, and it's hebophilia. Hebophilia? He, I don't know. Well, I'm sure it's heba in my country and heba here, just like pedophile, pedophile. Tomato, tomato, you're all fucked. The sexual attraction to pubescent children is hebophilia, which is different to pedophilia, and that's the sexual attraction to prepubescent children. There's actually a good explanation for hebophilia as a legitimate sexual attraction, biologically at least. Ancient man looking for a potential mother for his children may gravitate toward a pubescent girl as she's likely to be fertile, but unlikely to have either birthed children from another man or have sexually transmitted diseases. This, plus other sexual differences and dysfunctions, are explained in the brilliant book Perv by Jesse Baring. Bearing or bearing, we don't know. B-E-R-I-N-G, which I used to write an essay on pedophilia for my masters. Tight masters. Yuck. Please know I'm not in any way endorsing adult men engaging in any kind of sexual behavior with teenage girls, but the attraction seems to make sense from a biological perspective, but not a current social one. Yeah, but why are we giving only men license to be animals all the time. And I know you're not saying it's okay. I know, but I'm so tired of like, 
Well, the reason that men punch walls when they don't catch the biggest fish is because it's like, well, guess what? You're not living in an animal kingdom anymore. You are not ancient man anymore. The pyramids have been built. We've been to space, allegedly. Like it is time (laughs) for you to use your intellectual brain and to be held accountable. Because you could, by the very same logic, just be like, well, the reason that young women don't want you because you are bald and you're short and you're poor is because ancient women had to have someone provide for her so that she could be home in the cave stirring the porridge or whatever used to happen. But we're called, and I say we as in like the royal, you know, we just, we women are called like gold diggers and lazy and whores and freeloaders and all this other stuff. It's like, all right, like we know that humanity has come from an ancient place, but presumably we have evolved and we're all doing different shit now. And yes, that makes total sense. Like ancient man would not want to raise other children, though like different tribes did different things. There are some communities where that doesn't matter, but listen, I get it. Just don't, okay, so don't be a caveman is my main message, I guess. And wow, like good luck with that masters. Why would you, I guess, cause you wanna be like a, a fighter for justice and protect children. But like, what a horrible, horrible masters to get. I'm sure it's been an awful road and I just want kids everywhere to be safe. So thank you for your work and thank you for that explanation. Oh, hell to the hell to the hell to the no. My best friend's man made a pass at me. Catherine, I've been friends with my best girlfriend for 15 years, maybe more. She's my bestie, I love her. Without giving too much away, she's been with her boyfriend for a very long time. Since being together, he has also become a close friend of mine. We're a trio. This hasn't been odd. We're just like a close family. Until a recent trip away, the boyfriend was very drunk and he made a pass. He tried to kiss me and asked me if I wanted to have sex. He stroked my leg and tried to casually lift up my top. I said no various times, pushed him off me, called him a dickhead and told him to stop being an asshole. The next day, I didn't think much of it, kind of trusting it wasn't a big deal and being exhausted. But on reflection, I can't stop thinking about it. And should I share this information? My concerns are that there is absolutely no good that can come of this, that it will likely be damaging to the relationship, friendships, and the closeness we all have. I guess what I'm writing for is to see your thoughts and perhaps rather hopefully wondering if there's any way of minimizing pain this will cause or that perhaps I'm wrong thinking I need to expose this. Well, he's put you in an awful position. He's put you in a terrible position where now you are either blowing the whistle and causing a rift in all of these relationships, as you say, potentially, or you are colluding with him and concealing a secret. I don't even know. Like, I don't know this guy's style of drunk. You know, like maybe he's the kind of guy who got so drunk that he would have done that to his best mate. He just wasn't thinking. I guess you're old enough. I mean, unless you're friends with your girlfriend since you were like five and you guys are only 20. I think that a lot of people do things in a state of blackout drunkenness, which is why you shouldn't get blackout drunk. Like, I'm not saying that you are responsible or you deserve anything bad that happens to you while you're blackout drunk, but I do just think overall it is not a state of being that ever has a positive outcome. And for men, if you know that you act like a complete idiot when you're blackout drunk, don't get that way at all. Like 
he's around you, he's making a pat, lifting up your, like that's all very weird. Him being your partner's boyfriend aside, it seems to me like he had no idea what the hell was going on. He's the kind of drunk guy that would like walk into the corner of a room and take a piss on the carpet because he thinks it's the loo. I would chat to him about it. If you guys are as close as you say, I would be like, hey, do you remember that night when you got blackout drunk and made a pass at me? And maybe he'll say no and maybe you'll be able to see that he's lying or maybe you'll look at him and think like, oh, he really doesn't even know he did that. And then I would be like, make a judgment call from there. If you really think it was a drunken mistake and he had no idea what was going on, then I would say, you are someone who needs to never get that drunk again because if you made a pass at me, you could make a pass at anyone and that's problematic the way you did it by lifting up my shirt and stuff. But also, let's say that you make a pass and it's reciprocated and you're out and you end up having sex with someone in a club or someone somewhere else and then you hurt my friends. You're not going to do that. So I just can't have you that blackout drunk again. And then like, I guess have a conversation with your friend separately and be like, he gets really drunk sometimes, right? How do you feel about that? No, 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 Like, I don't know. Like maybe there's a world where you don't have to tell her and you're not concealing a secret. There's no black and white in life. And I don't have all the information. If you think this guy's like a serial cheater and a creep or he's dangerous or he's going to do it again. Oh, what you could do is find him. Yeah, just a bit drunk next time. Tipsy, the best. And be like, hey, so I've decided I've mulled over your offer for a couple of weeks. And yes, I would like to have sex. And then see what he says. If he's like, oh, sweet. So let's da 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 da. Then he's busted. Then he's a cheater and he meant it. But if he's like, why, what, my what, my offer, huh? Oh my God, then you go, okay. But previously to doing that, record a little video on your phone as proof to your friend, but don't show her. Be like, hey, Chelsea, I don't know her name. Hey, Chelsea, I'm about to hit on your boyfriend because on the holiday, he made a drunken pass me and asked me if I wanted to have sex. And if you're seeing this video now, it's because this backfired and he ran and told you that I told him I do want to have sex. But what I was actually doing is trying to double check that he is a bad guy. And if he ran and told you, then he's a good guy. And if he said yes, then we're right now having sex in your room. No. You know what I mean? Cover yourself. Do that. That's what I would do. Catherine, like you, I love interior design and I've spent countless hours crafting my home down to its finest details. Everything is very considered. I've spent a lot of time thrifting to find the perfect items when I can't find what I'm after in the shops and the house looks great. One problem, my husband's father recently passed away. He liked to sketch and paint in his spare time. My husband asked if it was okay to frame one of his paintings that he liked. And being a supportive wife, I said, of course. However, he has now brought this home. It is huge. It's the size of two doors put together and he wants to put it up in our bedroom. Despite not wanting this up at all, I've kindly given him some more suitable options. How about the hallway, the office, the TV room? But he's adamant he wants it in the bedroom so he can lay in his bed and enjoy it. We already have several places in the bedroom. Oh, several pieces in the bedroom. So this will overload the walls. The colors don't work and the painting is of his father, along with about 10 other people I don't know. I think he painted what was already a photo. Please help. I know once it goes up, but we'll never get it down. So I need intervention now. P.S. I also hold my children a lot. I love that you're sharing the amazing benefits of attachment parenting. Oh, no. Oh, no. So you, like, he just lost his dad. And 
there is a pain, like a imprint on him of that grief that will never really go away. And now he wants to put something on your bedroom wall that will never go away that hurts you. And you can see why he wants it up. I mean, the size of two doors? What kind of doors? Like the size of two doors? Oh, God. And who are the other 10 people? Just 10 people you don't know? Okay, so a photo was taken of your dad and his friends. And presumably these are people that um, your father-in-law really loved. And he's happy in the photo. And he painted it so he actually created, like loved the photo enough to recreate it as a huge memory. And I think that's what your husband wants on the wall. You know what I mean? Is like a happy moment of his own dad that his dad loved enough to recreate in painting with his own hands. And like, that is just how your husband wants to remember him for now and look at him that way. And I don't know what other options there are. If you could look at some other paintings, but this is the one he wants. Like, I, I'm so sorry, but I feel like you have to put it on the wall. I really feel like you do. And it's just the bedroom. Like, at least guests don't see your bedroom unless your husband's cheating on you. And it's like a private place. And, and that's why your husband wants it there. I think maybe he doesn't want to put it in common areas or the office. He doesn't want to discuss it, really. He just wants to lay in bed and look at it and think of his dad. I think at least leave it up for a bit. I don't think it will necessarily be there forever, but you do owe it to your husband. Like, he didn't want this to happen. He didn't want his dad to die. Just like you don't want the photo on your wall, but like, you know, I think put the photo on your wall and be glad that it's not one of your loved ones on the wall, I think. Unfortunately, I'm so sorry. I know you don't want it on the wall, but that's what you have to do. You know I'm reading the email titled, Secret Baby. I found a couple years ago that my brother-in-law had an affair, which resulted in a secret baby. His wife doesn't know, and he doesn't know that I know. I found out from my mother-in-law, who is helping to keep this secret and facilitates some contact with the baby's mother. She doesn't get on with my sister-in-law, so I feel she is enjoying this arrangement in quite a twisted way. Okay, so you have a husband or wife who is the sibling of this guy who has a secret baby. This guy it has a wife, she doesn't know, and this guy's mom, aka your mother-in-law, knows and told you and likes it. Got it. The affair happened in the two-year gap between their, old, their two children? Probably some lame-ass excuse of his wife being busy with the baby and this poor guy's dick felt lonesome. Exactly what I was going to say, though not so eloquently. Now, while I find my sister-in-law quite tiresome, such as always bragging about their many luxury holidays, she definitely does not deserve to be living with a liar and a cheat. My husband knows too, and I kind of feel like he should be the one speaking to his brother about it, yes, but he doesn't know what to say. We both feel complicit, and it's horrible. Oh, that is horrible. My sister and I, my sister-in-law and I, my sister-in-law and I used to text frequently and see each other at family events, but I've pulled away from our usual banter. I'm caught in the middle and I feel really gross about it. If I say that I know, then it will break the trust between brother-in-law and mother-in-law. She's the one who told me, but so what? It's just the truth. If she finds out eventually and then learns that I've known all this time, surely that's also bad for us having any relationship going forward. Is it my place to say anything to anyone? You don't really like this girl. You think she's fine, but you, you know, I think that she's on her way out anyway, to be very honest with you. 
their marriage is a sham. And if she doesn't find out about the secret baby, I'm sure there are other cracks that led to this guy lying and cheating. And like, he's an asshole probably in many ways. There's no such thing really, except in very psychopathic cases that someone's just like a very secret, isolated asshole that, you know, he probably does lots of bad things. I think the most non-problematic solution is for you to stay out of it and encourage your husband to tell his brother. Because I know you care about justice, but beyond that, you, you sort of do have a loyalty to the family that you've married into. And it's like, this is one messed up family, by the way. And just know that if they're concealing something this serious for your brother-in-law, they will also be concealing it for your husband. Your husband could have a secret baby. This bitch could know about your husband's secret baby and she's not telling you. Have you ever thought of that? I would, I would have a family meeting sans this sister-in-law, mom, husband, and brother. And I would go, what is wrong with you three? All of you. Yeah. Go big on it. Get them all together and go, I have a loyalty to you people. I decided to marry you and I like you all, but this is fucked. And I'd be like, why do you three think it's okay to conceal something so serious? And I get it because when this marriage inevitably breaks down, like he's going to have a lot of stuff to unpack. But his children need to know they have a sibling. Also, I think it's almost abusive to conceal something like this from your wife. Like, she's going to feel so embarrassed. She will find out eventually. Who knows if it's going to be 18 years down the road or now or whatever. And oh, it's bad. And so I would talk to this family and be like, what is wrong with all of you? You need to tell her. And I know it sucks, but it's going to suck in two years. It's going to suck more in five years. It's going to suck the most after 10 years. Tell her now. Tell her now. But I would really caution against you being the one to articulate this to her. Because again, you're kind of not, you're just hearing it secondhand. You haven't seen this baby. You don't know this baby. You don't know the mother. You just know that your husband and your mother-in-law are telling you and the brother-in-law, whatever, are talking about this secret baby. So you stay out of it because it will be messy and it'll be so messy. And I think that you could just take it to the grave that you didn't know. You could be like, wow, this family is fucked and you're glad to be away from them. And uh, lucky for you that you found out when you did and I certainly didn't know. And uh, hopefully you managed to stay friends with everyone for your children's sake because the, their cousins are going to have, I think, a strained family life for a bit. Don't, I know you're tempted. I know you want to tell her. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. Mm-mm. Just find out who your husband had his secret baby with. And who's concealing that from you? Thank you for listening to Telling Everybody Everything. It is wonderful to be back. We are about to enter season three. This has been season two, and I am doing a whole new revamp of the podcast. I am going to properly film the podcast. I'm going to be bringing you incredible clips because I've realized that that's what everyone else has been doing for the last 10 years. So you can always help me by sharing the podcast, telling people about the podcast. I love to see on social media when you're listening to the podcast. And if you have anything to say about the podcast, please reach out to me on socials or write me at tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. All my socials are Bum. I don't use Twitter or X or what it's called anymore. If I have an account still on it, that thing's dead. Don't bother messaging that. You can message me on Instagram or Violet Snapchat, which I check periodically. 
You can email Joanne. If you don't have my book, The Audacity, actually I've seen loads of you are taking it on holiday. Thank you for having her with you. You can download that, read it on Kindle, get it as an audio book, or go buy it in the shops, or even order it to be delivered to your door. Have a nice week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com